This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and welcome everyone to under the dome with cd hopefully you have a great one on this beautiful louisiana saturday afternoon and of course, we're coming to you live as per the use from the beautiful, palatial, opulent 1037 The Games, the first South Farm Credit Studios, excuse me, the first South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! And of course, I appreciate you listening and however you're doing, so be it through that old school FM dial. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Or heck, if you're listening in through that free mobile app, 1037thegame.com, smart speakers, or that old, again, that old dot com, you can check us out over there as well. Hope you have a great Saturday afternoon, however you're doing, so be it, you know, you're maybe drinking that second cup of coffee on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Maybe you're out there popping that first top and hopefully you're enjoying yourself and more importantly, you're doing so responsibly. Hopefully you're just enjoying yourself. I know I sure am because it is WrestleMania day one. Because there's there's two days of this thing that's go around. And, you know, I'm going to try and keep the wrestling talk to a minimum. Because I've got a podcast, Cajun Strong Style Podcast, that's definitely been a little bit more in-depth, if you will, Almost to the point of insanity. These, in fact, I've spent about let's see, from Monday to yesterday when I dropped the NXT Takeover Night One, I probably spent about three hours talking wrestling. So for two hours, I'm going to try and avoid bringing it up to a minimum. But guess what? There's a catch. If you want to talk about it, I am willing to talk about it. Just call us up three three seven seven zero six zero one 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 on the one zero three seven the game hotline. And let's get down to brass tacks and talk about what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon with your Saturday Sports Sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. And we start off looking at the NFL draft once again because, well, I think that's definitely a great conversation to have. We're in the month of April, a few short weeks away, a little less than three weeks from the start of the NFL draft. Three weeks from today, you'd have the final day, kind of that fourth through seventh rounders in terms of where things kind of land. And I think it's interesting, especially what's happened over the course of the last week with the NFL draft or it has been shaken up. And we see a lot of storylines kind of get established at this point. We all know how the first three picks in the NFL draft are going to go. More likely than not, it'll be three quarterbacks. Lawrence, Wilson, more likely than not, Fields, pretty much in that order. 
The real intrigue that's starting to become a thing over the last few days is with the Atlanta Falcons. And it all started not long after the Carolina Panthers, with their sharp teeth and claws, wanted to go and get Sam Darnold. And now they're probably going to be moving on from Teddy Two Gloves, which we'll get to a little bit later in the program. But if this is true about them wanting to deal their number four pick to trade down in the NFL draft, then are their blanking crew really hold all the cards at this point in time? Because they, like, I feel like at the end of the day, the number four pick, it's not the sweetest, it's not the best in terms of your, your true value, if you will. It's not a value pickup. But I think if you have the opportunity, if you have the ability to go ahead and secure a really good pick in that number four slot, do it. But in the end of the day, it's a Panay Sewell, and that's really about it. I mean, they've got plenty of offensive linemen. Jamar Chase is a hell of a player, but I feel like maybe, just maybe, they don't need him because they, I think they've got plenty of weapons already to kind of choose from. So who's to say, in my mind, they're not going to go to number four? Yes, you could wind up probably throwing out, saying Mac Jones, getting him at number four. Or that guy, Trey Lance, or whatever. But I think, at the end of the day, if you want somebody like Mac Jones, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to basically have him sit for a year or two behind you know, behind Matt Ryan? Whatever, you could probably give up that pick. Here's kind of where I'm going with all this. You give up that number four pick, and you basically could hold somebody, hypothetically speaking, of course, with a ransom. Hey, you want to go get in the number four pick? Here's what you got to give up. You got to give a first round this year, a second round in this year's draft, and probably a first or a second. It all depends on how they haggle. But I think you've got to get at least one pick in next year's draft. You could really start building a decent-sized war chest maybe to use to cash in in next year's draft to move up if there's a quarterback there that absolutely just screams, hey, this is our guy of the future, is we're starting to realize Matty Ice, there's not too much time left for him to be there. I can be completely wrong on this, but that just feels like where it's at. It's a huge risk when it comes down to you know what you want to do with, if you're willing to ma- draft Mac Jones at four. Because for me, the quality of quarterback goes down significantly, I think with each pick. I mentioned Lawrence, Zach Wilson out of BYU, and Justin Fields, all three of those guys in that order. Outside, it's Lawrence, a good step down. Zach Wilson, BYU, he had a hell of a pro day. He looked good. But at the end of the day, I just don't necessarily know if he's going to be that guy that leads his team down the primrose path to being a face of the franchise. Justin Fields, Ohio, the rep- reputation of Ohio State guys has not been great. In recent years, especially in the quarterback position. Mac Jones, it's the same kind of thing. It's the same stigma that we've seen with, again, Ohio State guys at quarterback. You, you could also say, you know, LSU guys, but for the most part, they've never had any true chances outside of your boy Jamarcus Russell. Joe Burrow's probably going to be that anomaly of it all, but you're going to see a bit of a stigma with Alabama guys. You've seen it for a long time, and I think there's a chance where the conversation is going to shift with the Atlanta Falcons saying, hey, we want to get rid of this and try and con somebody and and carny their way into a middle-round pick 
so they can get a guy that can help build them up. I think at the end of the day, you got to kind of try and figure out somebody in that middle range. I think it's between 15 to 20. I know Ben, me and Ben got in this conversation the other day. 14 to 20 was kind of where he landed at, starting with the Minnesota Vikings. Then it's the New England Patriots, the Cardinals, the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Washington football team, and the Bears. When it comes right down to it, I think that I would much rather say that as the New England Patriots follow closely by the Las Vegas Raiders and the Washington football team in that order, the top three teams that could definitely benefit the most from a trade, be it on draft day or even before that. Because I think those are kind of where those are the guys that would most benefit in having a quarterback for the future. And I mean the not too distant future. Because I think we year one with all three of those programs, franchises, they would want to have somebody sit behind, in the case of New England, Cam Newton, or Derek Carr in Vegas, or even the Washington football team in their state of flux right now, not knowing who their true quarterback is going to be after the whole Dwayne Haskins experiment failed miserably. Who benefits the most? I think the New England Patriots, because you won't have to give up as much in the future. And at the end of the day, I think the Patriots despite the fact that this is going against every fiber of your boy Bill Belichick's being, I think that's the right way to go about it. I think they're absolutely setting themselves up for a chance to get a star of the future with that number four pick. Yes, I could say, you know, go ahead and chalk it up to classic New England. I mean, the Patriots absolutely aren't that team when you think about it being a true monster but they know that they want to be able to build a franchise in the future because if Cam Newton doesn't work out and you don't have anybody behind him and you just let him go then you're kind of figuring out what the hell is going to go on how you're going to wind up trying to bring this thing not back to being like a dynasty and just winning every few years no you're going to have to try and start to claw back into relevancy in terms of making the playoffs because if Cam Newton struggles and you don't have anybody behind that could truly be a serviceable quarterback. I think that's what Mac Jones is. He's a number four pick. Or better yet, I mean, I think a team like the Minnesota Vikings wouldn't mind a guy like Panay Sua. I keep bringing him up a lot. He is going to be somebody to look at with that number four pick. At the end of the day, I think this draft is going to kind of go depending on how that number four pick is. Number three, one, two, three, that feels like it's virtually a lock. At least in my mind. Because, of course, what's going on with the 49ers and their trade that they did, that was huge and kind of changed the entire like psyche of the NFL draft. And we see a lot of other moves and shakings out of this. We Obviously, we saw what happened with the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, the Dolphins, and they're, they're trading around. Now they got, like, two picks in the top top 15. That's going to be a lot of fun. No, it's gonna be the top 20. That's massive. I'm looking forward to seeing how this all is going to pan out in that first round, but I think you're going to have to temper those expectations a bit on some of these guys. And if you're a fan of what's going on with the New York Jets, I know Lewis is a Jets fan for, for some reason. I'll never understand it. But at the end of the day, the Jets have a chance to really rebuild themselves. San Francisco 49ers, I think they have all the pieces 
but they have to stay healthy. The Falcons, they've got a lot of work to do because the last few years they've just basically built up capital in terms of having offensive linemen. You've got good wide receivers, but Todd Gurley isn't the answer. I think if you move down to the draft, if you're the Falcons, that might address one of your biggest needs on the offensive side of the football. That's getting a running back. I think there's not going to be too many running backs going in the first round, but you might be one of those teams that does that. Or better yet, go get a guy like a get a linebacker to fill that void left by Tack McKinley. Who's to say that somebody is available? Because I think at the end of the day, a number four pick for a linebacker isn't great. But the way everything's setting up, the way things are panning out, I can tell you right here, right now, the Atlanta Falcons are going to trade with, I think, either the New England Patriots, the Las Vegas Raiders, or the Washington football team. Those are the three that probably have the most to gain from moving up to the number four spot. I'd probably say, if anything, WFT might be the one that they go with because here's the thing. Washington football team could be a dumpster fire in 2021, and that changes a lot of the conversation in my mind. And I want to see what's going to happen. I am looking forward to seeing what the future holds for those Atlanta Falcons. Yes, I want to see them fail, but at the same time, that's that's no fun, really, just to sit there and watch this team crumble and fall apart. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun to see how this whole thing shakes out. Because you know, the second that pick changes, the way that pick gets clicked, the entire draft order in, the, in your mock drafts, throw them out the window. The bracket's going to get busted. Because I think they will trade. It's just all going to be about who. In my mind, I think the New England pages are the top of the list for me. But beyond that, who even knows? If you've got a thought, hit us up, 337-706-0111. We're rolling until 1 o'clock today. We were originally supposed to be on air till 1230 with the pregame show between LSU and Kentucky. But due to inclement weather, that game has been pushed back to 5 o'clock. You'll still hear that right here on 103.7, the game with the pregame, once again, at 5 o'clock, first pitch at 5.30. And, of course, if you want to call us up about anything, 337-706-0111. Coming up next, we'll kind of get into some conversation about the Masters Round 3 officially underway. And we'll talk about that and more right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. trying times. The world-famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadian Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself and you're making a good one to a great one on this Louisiana Saturday afternoon 337-706-0111 if you want to get in on the conversation about anything because trust me it is very much a no holds barred kind of day I'm absolutely just loving what's going on right now and trust me we got a lot of things to talk about especially when it comes to the world of golf it is that time of year let's kind of talk about the masters hello friends it's the famous CD here with 103.7 The Game. And we're going to get into what's causing all of this as we get into round number three. Some notable names that kind of missed the cut 
on moving day. Sergio Garcia, Matt Kuchar, Max Hama. Then also you have Dustin Johnson, DJ, out of there. Then also you have the defending champion, DJ, just missed it. Jason Day, I believe the, the man himself, Rory McIlroy. Yeah, Rory McIlroy got cut as well. Definitely a tough break to see what's going on with that. But now let's, let's get into the leaderboard right now and see who is leading the pack at this point in time. It's part of a tradition unlike any other. And Justin Rose is controlling the contest right now. He's going to be starting at 120. Justin Rose currently at 7 under. Brian Harmon. Then you have Will Zalatoris at 6 under. Jordan Spieth currently tied with Mark Leishman at 5 under. Then it's a crowded house, if you will, at 6. Hideki Matsuyama, Siwoo Kim, Cameron Champ, Justin Thomas, Tony Finau, and now Bernd Weisberger, all at 4 under par. But we're going to see some interesting stuff go down, especially with Xander Schauffele. It's definitely a crowded house at 4, but there's some guys to look at that are already kind of moving on up in the world. Guys who are, all, who are currently up there. Webb Simpson, Kevin Na, and Martin Laird, all of them, having a really good third round so far. For instance, Webb Simpson, he's about to wrap up the front nine, and he is currently at three under par. You've also got some other guys to kind of look at. Scotty, Scotty Scheffler, Bryson DeChambeau's got a lot of work to do once he gets started. But it's crazy to think how much different this course was just five months ago. Now that we're in April versus what we saw back in November, which is still weird to think about. The fact that we missed out on having the Masters take place in its regular time due to COVID and having that change the entire like structure of the way the game's played. But we're going to see what happens there. But again, I, I love what I'm seeing from some of these guys, namely you know, Justin Rose. He put together a masterful first round. But I'm interested to see how he's going to do in day three, round three, after putting up a par. He wound up just breaking even on day two. While everybody else started to get low numbers, I didn't see too many guys in the leaderboard that were that were at par. I mean, you had Brian Harmon round two. He was three under. You had four under for Will Zalatoris, the debutante, as we heard Cam Rogers on Ben Show say. There's something to be said about what's going on with this team. The state of the union, the state of this like group, it's going to be a fun final round, I think, in my mind. I probably would say Will Zalatoris may be the closest threat because he's improved his spot a good bit the last couple days. You want like a guy like Harmon, it's just been consistent, hitting 69 both days. Pretty nice performance from him to get things going, but I'm interested to see how it's all going to pair out heading into the final day. I think we'll see Will Zalatoris. Jordan Spieth, a guy who I have said I hope he wins. He's, one, he's a really good guy. And number two, and more importantly, he's coming off of one of – he's coming off that winning of the Texas Open. I know the Texas Open isn't necessarily like a huge like tournament compared to the Masters, but when you haven't won a, a tournament in so long, you haven't won a PGA Tour event in so long, if you're Jordan Speed, that's taking the monkey off your back. It's a lot like, you know, remember back a couple years ago when LSU finally beat Bama after how many times did they try to get over and they couldn't? That's what we're seeing right now. That's exactly 
what we're seeing with this with the tour. It's and I think after LSU beat Bama, that's when you knew this team was going to wind up winning the national title because more often than not, when LSU beats Bama and they look dominant in a lot of ball games, they were going to wind up securing the bag when it was all going to be all said and done. And that was kind of where I was at in 2019. But for me, this is going to be the most interesting like round three in a while because it's not the same old guys. Rory McIlroy is not in there. Dustin Johnson not in the mix. Matt Kuchar, not in the mix as well. You've got, relatively speaking, you got the standards, Justin Rose, Jordan Speed, but Mark Leishman, Will Zalatoris, you know, who looks like the caddy from Happy Gilmore. You have Brian Harmon, Mark Leishman. I couldn't have told you who all those guys were before today. Outside of Justin Rose and Speed, I feel like the leaderboard, I mean, Hideki Matsuyama is a name that I know I've seen him make some waves in the PGA Tour, but it's not a household name. Jordan Speed, Justin Rose, those names we know. Justin Thomas, Tony Finau to a certain extent. They're in that mix, but I feel like they are further down the line than maybe other years they would have been. Still looking forward to seeing how things go. And then, of course, I want to see who's going to wind up being on the not top 10 now that we see what's happened with, you know, first off, Rory McIlroy accidentally hitting his dad on his approach swing in round one, that got everybody talking because it was funny. But then you also have, in round two, Siwoo Kim wanted breaking his putter. So he actually had to finish the day putting with a freaking three-wood. Imagine, like, I'm sure a lot of y'all out there play golf. I'm not a golfer, never have been, mainly because I'm a lefty, and lefty golf clubs are pretty a little more expensive and just never really put forth the effort to go ahead and go out there and play golf. But I can tell you that if I got that frustrated, if I was having a frustrating day in the short game, I probably would do the same exact thing if I was in the shoes of Siwoo Kim. And I'm sure there's a lot of you out there that maybe have had that kind of situation. 337-706-0111. If you want to talk about your horror stories on the golf course, if you've ever broken a club, because that's really where I'm kind of leaning on this here. Is I going to remember like, just seeing all that stuff? It was immediately, I mean, whenever Ben told me this, guy, I didn't see this as it happened. And I said, you know what? This reminds me entirely of, you know, if you've ever watched Happy Gilmore, how like he was just so frustrated the entire time when he's kind of getting things going, when he's trying to do take care of the short game, because that was his weakest part of his game in Happy Gilmore was the fact that he could not sink a putt worth a damn. And that's kind of where, you know, Siwoo Kim was. But ironically, he's still able to be in contention heading into the third round. He's tied for sixth at four under, just three strokes behind the leader, Justin Rose. Who I, I think Justin Rose is going to have to play a lot. You know, I like how Ben put it, playing a lot more defense over the next few days to be able to secure that green jacket. But it's going to take a lot more than that to – take the jacket because I got a feeling there's some guys that are starting to get hot and more importantly starting to get low right now and again I mentioned earlier Will Zalatoris is a name to look at Jordan Spieth Spieth had a phenomenal game knocked his first round score down in the second round from 71 to 68 down by three strokes that's huge that's why he's in this spot so again 
it Rose is nowhere near like breathing easy right now because again, he's only one stroke ahead of two guys and three strokes ahead of some. It's two strokes, excuse me, two to three strokes behind some really notable names. Again, Matsuyama, Jordan Spieth. Those are the two that I think will give him the most headaches outside of Zalatoris, who again has improved his lie, every improved his stats every single day. And, of course, is going to be a lot of fun. Again, just looking at the wind of it today, it's like 8 miles an hour, apparently, 62% chance of rain. That could kind of put a damper on things, pun intended. But I think that's absolutely where it's going to be. You have to think about that conversa- that part of the conversation when it comes to how this tournament is going to turn out and how things are going to set up. Because I think that that third round is going to be crucial for Justin Rose. He needs to be able to put together a really great performance. Maybe, maybe not the seven under, but if he puts a seven under, I wouldn't be surprised if day, if heading into the final round, he is pretty much coasting. And I mean, absolutely coasting to a victory. All right. It's out of the dome with CD. If you want to call up, talk about your horror stories on the golf course, the one three seven game hotline is wide open, but coming up next, we're going to kind of shift the conversation over once again, but we're going to go into the New Orleans Pelicans. Topic I don't normally talk about that much, but boy, oh boy, they made me want to talk about it. Because it was a train wreck, if you will, what was going on with the Pels and the 76 was a definition of bad basketball to a T. We'll talk about the next right here on 103.7 The Game at 103.7 The Game.com. To the 20 by 20 squared circle and everywhere in between. The world famous CD isn't afraid of tackling any topic. Just don't expect him to get into the ring with anyone he offends. Finish him. Just bring it. Let's get back to Under the Dome. Hey, welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Right here on Katie in a sports station, 1037 The Game, 1037TheGame.com. And we got a great show the rest of the way. Of course, the phone lines are open for the rest of this hour and a half kind of trek we're getting through. And, of course, the phone line is 337-706-0111. And it is wide open, my friends. But also, let me just tell you this. You can win a brand-new 2021 Ford Bronco by just spending $20. Yes, you heard me right, $20. That's how much you can spend for a chance to win a brand-new 2021 Ford Bronco. All you got to do is buy your raffle ticket today to win one of the hottest vehicles on the market at broncoraffle.com. Ticket sales benefit, nonprofit Catholic Radio, KLFT, and the drawing will be held about a month from now. May 15th, not May 19th, but May 1515th. But tickets are limited. Once again, you buy tickets at broncoraffle.com at Hub City Ford or at the Delta Media Studios during open 
business hours. Obviously, a day like today, not so much. And I know most days, I think on the weekends, they bring it back over to the dealership not too far from the beautiful Delta Media Studios. They have that Ford Bronco out there. Every single day I see it, I'm like, man, I wish I could win that. But I can't. But guess what? You can just by spending $20 by entering your by getting your raffle ticket at broncoraffle.com. So make sure you buy a raffle ticket today to win a brand-new 2021 Ford Bronco presented by Hub City Ford. Now that we got that read out of the way, let's go ahead and talk about some NBA basketball last night. I think one of the big headlines that popped up was Jason Tatum, 53 points. One of the best performances from a Celtic, under 25 I wound up seeing. 50 points. Actually, I think it was the first time somebody has hit 50 points for the Celtics in a long time. And according to basketball reference, I'm seeing this right now, the last time that happened was Larry Bird in 89, November of 89. I was like, I was like half a year old by this point in time. And he put up 50 and 13. This is 50 points and 10 rebounds in a game for the Celtics. He definitely was kind of the, the headline grabber, no doubt in my mind, when I, when I saw that last night. I was like, okay, Boston Celtics, way to go. And he was the youngest Celtic to drop 50 points, passing, once again, the Birdman, Larry Bird. But I want to get to the New Orleans Pelicans because, boy, oh, boy, it was almost a battle of ineptitude, but I got to give him credit. They held a team to below 100 points. That is a step in the right direction. But just seeing some of the, the shot taking, some of the options, not great, Bob. The Pelicans were woeful from three-point range. Four of 22. Like, at one point, you got to realize, like, three points ain't your thing, ain't your bag. And they continue to just underwhelming. I'm looking at a shot chart they have. Like, seeing how many shots they took. And it basically went from almost all across that three-point line and couldn't get but four. Four shots. Mind you, they're really good from inside the paint. I mean, they have phenomenal performance from that end it's just they don't have anything else like for the most part they yes yeah, so they shot 43 percent for the field mark a little bit, bit better than the 76ers but it was a three-point shooting that probably could have doomed them against any other team i mean this is a pelicans team that's currently 23 and 29 and pretty much like fighting for their lives to stay inside that that bubble if you will not not the nba bubble that we saw last year but staying within that range of teams that's going to be fighting in those, those playing games. They're only one game back at the Golden State Warriors, who are starting to kind of get hot at the right time as we are in the month of April. I know we're starting to near the end of the road of the regular season, but you need to start getting your butt in gear. Either that or start realizing, hey, you know, the playoffs just aren't for us this year. Let's move on. And I keep saying it. I think Lonzo Ball needs to be one of those guys that has to go in my mind because he just hasn't performed. He hasn't been that great. And mind you, I think I started to close the book on Lonzo Ball with the Pelicans before the season even started. It was more because of the way he has looked since the bubble. I, since the reboot, he has been probably one of the most inconsistent shooters on that team. Now, yes, he's been out for the last few games but I think, honestly, the team's a little bit better without him. Especially now that you got Brandon Inger back after a few days. You have Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson's having to carry this freaking team. And that's the reason why like this team won. I mean, he had 37 points. The rest of your 
starting five, Brandon Ingram, Eric Bledsoe, who, by the way, needs to go to, I think he's another guy, Steven Adams, and Najee Marshall, who, again, it's not it's not their fault. It's just the fact that these guys are relatively, speaking, jabronis. Like, this is a guy that had to be put in because of the fact that you have a, some injured guys. You have some guys that can't play, like an Isaiah Thomas, like a Wesley Owundu, who you wound up getting as part of a trade. He didn't play last night. You had a Willie Hernan Gomez look good. He had a, he had a plus minus a plus 10. Really good performance on his side, putting up 10 points. Didn't do a whole lot else, but it's a step for him. It's a good move. He looked great in his plus minus. Outside of that, though, there was just a lot of stuff going on that was just not sitting well with me. But the fact that you have Brandon Ingram and the rest of your starting five put up, let's see here, 17 plus 9. It's going to be, it's not, it's like 26 points and then 26 plus 7. That's 33. You had Zion Williamson put up more points than the rest of the starting five, essentially. That's what just happened with this game last night. You had Zion Williamson just established dominance, and that's the reason why they won. Like It's absolutely insane to think about that. Everybody else on that on the other team, on the other side, it was a much more of a balanced attack. You had guys like Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons put, put up double digits. Joel Embiid followed suit as well. It wasn't necessarily, you know, all these guys putting up 20, but it looked like it was a much more balanced chart. It's being the Zion Williamson show. I saw at one point, you know, Zion was pretty much thrown a fastball by by James Johnson, who definitely may be the Western Conference Cy Young winner, the way he threw that baseball. It was insane to watch that. But there were some moments in the game where there's sloppy play, and then there's what we saw from the Pelicans on Friday night against the Sixers. Some points it was one-on-one basketball, and it was just a train wreck. I just, I'll never quite understand it. I'll never quite, like, get it. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see how things are going to pan out in the not-too-distant future for certain teams, for certain players. The conversation is going to start shifting to who is going to be on top when it's all centered. Who's going to wind up standing there and saying, hey, here's here's what we're doing, here's what we're going to move forward with if you're the Pelicans franchise. I think the biggest question is, what do you do with with Zion Williamson in his future, because I think Brandon Ingram is a guy you need to keep around. I know they're adamant they're going to wind up re-signing Lonzo Ball, and that'd be a huge mistake on my um, in my thoughts. Because I think, especially if you're going to wind up doing what I think you're going to do, I get it. You could probably sign him to a max deal and lock him down because of the fact you have those assets available and you could wind up freeing up some money. But I don't think that's the answer. I think if anything. It's him and Eric Bledsoe have to go. I think Steven Adams has done a serviceable job. He's He's been good enough for me to warrant keeping him around and add the fact that he's a good center. He's a solid center. Don't need him to be kind of the the shooter. You can have him be a guy that can get some boards. He's the only thing, I think Zion's just a little too short to be a true center. And he's too electric. I feel like, again, the point Zion thing that I've been hearing a lot about that's something that looms large with the future of this franchise. But now it's like the Pelicans just can never truly get out of their own way for me. They have so many great, they've had so many great moments, 
But it's always been, you know, you win a couple, you lose a couple. You win a couple, you lose a couple. It's never truly consistent. I mean, you look at in the last, like, few weeks since the All-Star break, they've had moments where they'll win, lose, win, lose, win, lose. And that's not how you're going to wind up getting to that certain point that you want to get if you're the Pels. You need to prove yourself. You need to prove a lot to me. You need to prove a lot to this this fan base. You're going to start moving forward and be able to become a fringe playoff team this year. Because if you do in this first year with Stan Van Gundy, that to me is a massive success. But there needs to be more consistency, especially against teams that you keyword should be beating. And keyword there should. The Orlando Magic, you should have been able to beat back on April 1st. And that could have really built some momentum in your favor. But no, you have to lose that one, then lose to the Hawks, and you wind up losing two straight to the Hawks and the Nets. The Nets make sense, perfectly fine, because of the fact that the way the world works is that everybody gets right before the Pels play, before they play the Pels. They get right right then and there. They move forward, and you play an entire just mess of a ball game against the Nets. You lay an egg, lose 139-111. And I... I think the second KD was ready to get was there, it was all over but the crying. You were pretty much set up to fail. You were pretty much set up to fail from that point because it felt like it was an automatic loss. Yes, you've lost some really tough heartbreakers. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers game back on March 16th, that's a game that stands out to me the most because it wasn't about it wasn't a bad game. It was just a gut punch because that could have been a game a lot like the Orlando Magic that should have been a win, but you underwhelmed at certain points of the ballgame. The third quarter has been the worst statistically by the Pelicans in the league. Like They've just been bad. And this is a pre-Stan Van Gundy thing. This is probably even to a certain extent, probably tail into Monty Williams, but definitely Alvin Gentry. Third quarter, they have un- they have been the worst. In the entire third quarter, they have to change that. They have to get this bugaboo out of the way. Because if they perform really well in the third quarter, the chance of them winning, in my mind, goes up significantly. It's not 141 and two-third percent like Scott Steiner says. This is a probably, I'd say, your winning percentage goes up probably 20% in my mind. Because there's some guys out there that can be great teams. And they are they are fringe, in my mind, the Pelicans are, just based off of the standings. Right now, they're right behind the Golden State Warriors for that last play-in spot. Do you really want to be in that spot, or do you want to go ahead and try and get into that 9 or 8? That way, you're still playing the playing game, but you have a better chance of getting things done. Because at the end of the day, your next, like those four games that you're going to have, like just look at the next few games the Pelicans even have to play. There's a chance where they can start building momentum. And it starts on Sunday with the Cleveland Cavaliers on the road. And you host the Kings and the Knicks. The Knicks are just an up and down team. I think you have a chance to at least, in next starting on Sunday, you've got a chance to win three out of the next four. Washington Wizards, you play on Friday. That's going to be a real test of your metal because you know Russell Westbrook's going to be out there 
grinding on opponents. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun to see how this team looks over the next few games because they have a chance to really establish themselves as being one of those top 10 teams in the West. And if you do that, that's good enough to get you in the playing game. That's good enough to get you to where you could potentially make a run in the postseason. You've just got to push forward because, trust me, it doesn't get any easier. And I mentioned, you know, you play the Knicks twice in like seven days, in like three days, and then you play Brooklyn, then you play Orlando in late April. I mean, you wrap up the season on a tough stretch. You end the regular season with the Lakers again on May 16th. I'm hoping the Pels can turn it around, but I'm just starting to be a little bit more doubtful, largely because of the fact they haven't proven it to me. They haven't proven if they can turn it around, in my mind. Well, we're going to take a quick time out. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. We're up at the hour. Talk about some great baseball that happened yesterday involved the Cajuns. LSU finally got a win in SEC play. We'll talk about that too next right here on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7, The Game. Does anybody have a cold beer for Steve Austin? Oh, hell yeah. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. Hopefully you're having a good one. Let's go ahead and spend a little time talking about the world of baseball last night. A little look back at the ballpark stuff last night. And first off, Cajuns baseball, they looked like they were like behind the eight ball a little bit early on. I believe they were down 2 nothing early on. But, of course, you have them put it together. 10-3 win over the Arkansas State Red Wolves at the Teague last night. Brad Borgonio had a phenomenal day at the plate, 2-4. for four. But more importantly, five ribbies. What's it with number five with the fives and the Cajuns as of late? Because you had a program record five steals last week by reigning, defending, undisputed Sunbelt Conference Player of the Week in Carson Rockefort. But five. First player since Hunter Castles in twenty nineteen to tally five runs batted in in a single game. He looked pretty damn good. Spencer Irrigati, once again, he he gave up three earned runs, probably one of his worst outings. I'm going to put air quotes there because he never really had a truly bad performance. But it was still a quality start, six innings, struck out seven in the win, six and one on the year for him. The Cages look to get two in a row later today, game number two. This is going to be a four o'clock first pitch. Hell of a performance on Friday night. But then we get to LSU, a team that has just been absolutely woeful in the SEC. It's playing a team that's even more woeful. I think they're damn near a amateur level, like a like, like high school level team in the Kentucky Wildcats. Who again, the Tigers will play tonight at 5.30. Originally supposed to be a 1 o'clock first pitch, but due to some inclement weather, that's been moved back a couple hours, which is why I have a full two sweet hours with you. But they 
dominated the contest last night, 15-2. 15-2. Great performance from Landon Marceau. You know, he, yeah, he looked fantastic. And meanwhile, the rest of the team just dominated, especially in their early goings. Stuff wound up going five innings, but 12 hits, eight earned runs. That is pop on if there ever was a pop on opportunity. Meanwhile, Landon Marceau, seven and a third, only allowed two runs, but eight strikeouts. I mean, but it was also giving a lot of credit to Trey Morgan. The heart of the line had performed really well, but Morgan, three of five with three ribbies, including a really good dinger in the ball game. And, you know, Cruz, he in fact hit a leadoff home run to get things going. Dylan Cruz, take a bow. Also, Aiden Travinsky, Gavin Dugas. Both those guys hit, I mean, Travinsky hit a two run single. Dugas hit a two run homer. Some phenomenal stuff right there. But it's all around fantastic start to the weekend for LSU baseball. Hopefully, if they get a sweep here, that's going to be huge for the morale. But don't put all your stock in it. It's not like what we talked about with Vanderbilt last weekend. Don't put all your stock into it. Tell I'm telling you right now, you will regret that. And I'll give you some, some of my thoughts on what happened with the Astros last night. But we're out of time in hour number one. We'll come back after this. Hour number two. Back after this. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Time to take a walk on the wild side. Get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7, the game. Hey, welcome everybody. Hour number two of two sweet hours here. We originally only going to be an hour and a half, but. You know, life's all about making the adjustments, to steal a phrase from Dave Schultz on Louisiana Saturday afternoon, hour two of two underway. Appreciate you listening in. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the beautiful First South Farm Credit Studios. Here, this, worldwide. And I'm feeling pretty darn good. I appreciate you listening in. If you're, however you're doing so, be it, you know, the free 103.7 Game Mobile app or the old school FM dial. This is where the power lies. And heck, more power to you if you're one of those out there listening through your smart speaker, Amazon Alexa. And make sure, if you haven't already, to enable your Alexa skill. That way you can listen to 103.7 The Game, however you do so. Because trust me, there's a lot of different ways. But I think that's one of the ways that I know a lot of people, and I know, Go ahead and go listen to it. They absolutely love listening in to Katie and a sports station using their smart speaker because they get it crystal clear. Some and there's some just overall great times to be had listening into it that way. But I want to get into some Houston Astros thoughts real quick. But first, let me give you a quick little Masters update, kind of reset things over there, over in Augusta, Georgia, and everything's kind of getting underway right now. Some of the main guys. I haven't started yet. You'll have the final groupings kind of start 
at the top of the 1 o'clock hour, including Jordan Spieth, Mark Leishman, Will Zalatoris, Jordan Spieth, and then you'll have the final pairing, B, Zalatoris, and Justin Rose. A lot of guys are getting started right now. And Tommy Fleetwood is moving on up. He's actually tied for 13th at 2-under. The guy hit a ace on day in round one that made everybody stand at attention. 23rd ace in the history of the Masters. Tommy Fleetwood. No, it was Tommy Fleetwood or Lee Westwood. There's a lot of different names, but I think Tommy Fleetwood was the guy. He's at two under so far, so he's starting to kind of make waves, but he's through three, so he's still got plenty of room to slip up, but so far, so good for him. You also have Martin Laird. He's moving up. He's tied for 18th right now at one under, but he just he's two under through six right now, so he's somebody to look at. The hefty lefty, Phil Mickelson, he actually has gone three under through 13. So I think in the final day, he's moved up in the world. Obviously, that's at this point, it's more about kind of the money than anything else. But he's starting to look a little bit better. You know, guys like Adam Scott, who barely made the cut, he's currently at four, at three under, excuse me. You got Harris English at four under, uh, four over, excuse me. All these guys are over par. It's a mess at the bottom. But it's looking interesting to see how things are panning out. Yeah, guys like Victor Hovland moving way down. But again, we'll be seeing a lot of the bigger names show up later on this afternoon. That's when the real fun begins. And that's what I love about kind of this time of year. I'm giving to my full thoughts on the month of April, why I think it's the second best month of the year, especially in non-COVID times, whenever we're able to just be full bore. I'll explain that in just a little bit. But I got to say, the Houston Astros last night, Unprecedented. Losing to the Oakland A's. Hadn't happened all year this up to this point, but they came up it was a bad performance. Six of two six to two loss to those Oakland A's, a team that you were able to kind of just really establish dominion over early on. I wound up seeing on Twitter good friend Matt Thomas of Sports Talk seven ninety. He brought this up. Why don't the Oakland A's just go ahead and pack it in? They did not and had five runs in the final, like, eighth and ninth innings combined that wound up being the big difference there. But the Astros just, it was, the lights weren't on for the most part. I mean, you had only two, two, three multi-hit players like Jose Altuve, as expected. Michael Brantley, Mr. Professional Hitter, didn't get any hits in his plate appearances. He struck out. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, 0 for 4, four strikeouts, that's not what you want. I mean, it feels like that, you know, me and Ben have talked about this. About the Kyle Tucker thing and him being at the dish in the cleanup spot. How it's not his place. Honestly, at this point, I think the four-hole has been cursed for the Houston Astros this season. I can be completely off base with that, but it just it's feeling like that is the case. Because I just, I'm blown away by seeing how, you know, the, the batting splits are. I'm actually pulling up some stuff right now just to see how the batting order's been so far this year. And much to my surprise, not really, is that that's probably one of the worst spots of the team. 2-12, batting cleanup. Whoever's batting cleanup, be it Kyle Tucker, Jordan Alvarez, or anybody else, it's 2-12 versus you know, the worst, which is ninth in the batting order for the Astros. 
.97 batting average. Yes, the OBP is is really good, is a lot better, but man, you just know that's something that you want to wind up improving on because your heart of the lineup, one, two, three, is looking pretty darn good. All three of those guys batting about 300. If you're, I'll say this, if you'd swap four and five, whoever's batting fifth, because that's where your sweet spot is, because you have a chance to really kind of run rough shot over teams. If the if the four hole is hitting like the fifth hole is right now, is right now the Astros have whoever's batting fifth is batting with a 400 batting average. Yes, it's a very small sample size. We're only a week into the season. But that's something to keep an eye on. That's interesting to see how it's all kind of panning out for the Strohs this year. Again, very early on, very early takeaways. But I like what I've seen from them for the most part. Astros have looked really good. I mean, they started off this series, this three-game set, which is weird in and of itself. In fact, we don't have a Sunday Astros game. It's very strange, but I like what I've seen from them. Like, Jose Altuve looks to be, looks to have found the passion of the game again. You have Lance McCullers Jr. He's looked good. You have a lot of players, a lot of notable names out there that are looking good early on this season. I like what I've seen from the pitching rotation. The pitching rotation has exceeded some of my expectations. Now, obviously, how things are going to look once we start getting into next week, Anybody's guess. Because let's be honest, you have a series with the Detroit Tigers who I think honestly they, they're not getting as much love as probably they should. Because the Detroit Tigers started off the season really good. And of course it's the return of AJ Hinch to the to Minute Park, and of course that'll be interesting in and of itself. But you know that the this team is gonna be a lot of fun to see how it's gonna turn out. Especially the I mean the rotation has been a surprise because I just didn't know a whole hell of a lot about this team outside of Grinky McCullers. Hop, Christian Javier's looked good. Javier's been strong. But it's Urquidy and it's Luis Garcia. Those are those are that those unknowns. You don't have you want to have those two guys start, but they got an ND, a no decision. And of course, Brian Abreu may be that weak link in the early part of the season because he's he's won and lost, but last night he lost a game because he allowed a ton of runs. The final two innings, you had three and two. That's how you lost the game. And it was all largely on, I mean, it wasn't entirely on Brian Abreu, but at the end of the day, when you have a, it tied 1-1, you allow, you want to initially, essentially setting up a three-run crooked number inning that's not great. Two and a third. He didn't. He struck out one, and one hit, one earned run. That's it's okay. It's but in terms of just what you did, you want to probably setting up a mess that Blake Taylor couldn't get himself out of. So I think Brian Abreu could be a question mark for this team. But of course, hopefully before long, we can get our guy. You know. Fran Valdez back because if if Fran Valdez is able to be back in like let's say late May early June, this team's chances of being a playoff team and being able to be contenders and win the AOS potentially that goes up drastically in my mind. Is I like what I've seen from this pitching staff. The first three guys, Javier has looked good. 
I think Zach Greinke, he's looked he's looked serviceable. Yes, he he got an ND in his last appearance, but I gotta say that's pretty much how it's all worked out over the last couple of games. The Angels put the fear of God into you in that two game set. You split that on the road to wrap up that road trip. But I think the fact that you were able to take that second game, especially the way that you did, really proved hey this team is not going to give up that easy. They're gonna wind up being a team that is going to be nitty and gritty, and I can't wait to see how that's all going to pan out for the Astros. Of course, they'll be playing tonight, or this afternoon, 3.05, first pitch, 2.30 pregame. That'll be over on our sister station, which is right across the way from where I'm at, over on News Talk 98.5. The Astros are going to look to bounce back after losing this afternoon at Minute Maid Park. You can listen to all that action live on our sister station, News Talk 98.5. I can't wait for that. That's gonna be, and it, you know, it's really cool because you know, you've got. I mean, it would have been even better, obviously, if you had LSU and then Astros will, will play at three hundred five. But I'm, but I'm going to be able to listen to the first couple hours of the Astros, and then flip on over to to the game to listen to at least the beginning moments of LSU baseball. Of course, I'm going to be more focused on something else going on later today with WrestleMania. Of course, it's it's that time of year. And I'm looking forward to just seeing how the month of April is going to turn out. Because, again, this is probably my one of my favorite months of the year. That'll be my last take on the show. I won't get to my full thoughts about it, at least not yet. If you got some thoughts about the best month of the year, 337-706-0111. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're going to get into some talk about the NFL, and of course, maybe maybe get to some NCAA tournament talk as well. He's attorney wrapped up on Monday, and boy, oh boy, that was a fun finish. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make the rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, 103.7 TheGame.com. And dare I say, this is the pinnacle of sports talk on a Louisiana Saturday morning. Appreciate you listening in. It's been almost as I push this button. You know what? It's a WrestleMania type of day, so why not play this one out? When last year I spent more money on spilled liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made, you're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying. Son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. And hopefully you are having a hard time holding those alligators down and you enjoying yourself on this Louisiana Saturday afternoon. And I want to get into something I saw last night, and it is without a doubt one of the craziest things. 
And according to some reports, the NFL owners, the NFLPA, are continue, continue to negotiate some of the stuff surrounding the 2021 offseason. So in about nine days from right now, the league and the NFL are going to have, you know, phase one of OTAs, the organized team activities. But the league has not agreed with the NFLPA right now about the details on whether there will be in-person or virtual work throughout the offseason. Obviously, last year, there are no in-person OTAs or mandatory minicamp due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And the NFL is kind of pushing it for or the, the PA, I should say, the Players Association, is working to try and keep that that way. Honestly, I think that's a mistake. Like, I get it. You know, you want to keep these guys as safe as humanly possible. But at the same time, you could probably just go ahead and have your your OTAs and your minicamps and just have those and then be like, hey, you know, just stay safe out there. Obviously, you know, you test people before you before you send them over. Like you have them isolate, spend some time kind of getting ready and get tested. Then you can participate in this all in the terms of the OTAs. I just feel like the virtual offseason, it just causes things to slow down significantly, especially if you're an NFL player. Because in my mind, I could be completely off base here, but if I've been so used to having you know OTAs and that ramps you up, it's a lot like what we see with spring practice right now with the Cajuns at LSU. I know the Cajuns are about to have a press conference in about like 40 minutes. Conveniently, right after my show goes off the air, so more power to you there, Cajuns, for making sure that that was arranged. Absolutely love that. But there's a step like where I'm like, do we really want to go ahead and have them miss out on this opportunity to play games and move forward to set up something else? I, I just don't get it. I just don't get why it's such a debate about whether or not they're going to go ahead and move this direction to have a big game like, and have it be a OTA and mini campless offseason again and go all virtual. I don't think that's going to help some of these teams really ramp up. Again, I understand the logistics of it, the health aspect of it, and COVID-19 is still a thing that's going on, but I'm wondering, you know, for the most part, you're able to keep these guys close together and make sure that everybody's clean. And if everybody's clean, then at the end of the day, the conversation doesn't need to be, be about, you know, let's go ahead and do this this way. And it just feels also kind of like conflicting because go back to last season, heading into it, we started thinking about like what's going to happen with COVID, how, that's, how that is going to affect the game. And also, then you throw in the 17-game season we talked about last year. I understand they want to, say, talk about the health, and they want to think about the health and well-being, but at the same time, it just feels like they're speaking a whole different message when it comes to the way they want to map this out and have this entire thing play out. I can be, again, I think there's a point to be made here that they need to go ahead and set up shop and play this game out. Because I like what I've seen from... OTAs and minicamps. I think that's the way they have to do it. That's the way they have to play this out. And again, so overall, looking forward to seeing how that's all going to work. Meanwhile, another thing that happened this week, oh man, absolutely love the fact that we got the NCAA tournament back in our lives. For one, it, this was probably the most entertaining one from start to finish. And then the finish happened and then we just kind of were like, okay, 
Baylor's just really that damn good. And it continues to I a week ago. And I'll say this. My dad, he's not the hugest like basketball fan. He I mean it's compared to what it was back in his day, he just doesn't like it. And I can understand that. For me, I'm like I'll watch it, especially college basketball. I'll watch it. I mean, if it's on most nights when I get home, I'm just going to go ahead and, and flip it on the TV and watch it. Because, I mean, there's not much else really going on. I don't really care about some of the primetime slates these days on TV for the most part. When I get home, I'm going to go watch sports. It's a crazy life I live, but you know what? If I'm going to go ahead and be in this business, I might as well just absorb as much as I can, especially after ha- not having it for a while. I'm just going and go ahead and, you know, be like Barney Gumble and just hook this thing to my veins. Make that, like, like, I'm serious. Like, I could tell you right now, it's a lot like what I'm thinking about with pro wrestling this week. Because, you know, last year we, we had WrestleMania. Pro wrestling was the last bash of, like, live events for a while for me. And, you know, I think it was for a lot of people. Now things are back and they're slowly but surely starting to make the steps towards us getting back to some form of normalcy. I know the, the conversation is we're going to have the NFL season. Fans will be in attendance. College football, they're going to plan on having full attendance. At least that's what we're hearing from SEC schools. I'm sure that'll follow suit with some of the smaller schools, especially AUL. I'm sure the Louisiana Education would love to have full attendance. And here's the thing. I know people are going to laugh at me when I say this. This is going to be one of my hottest takes in a while. I think the Cajuns will sell out a couple games this season. Why? There's a lot of reasons why. I think the biggest of which is it's an event now to go do something. You know, you, you make these plans versus, oh, hey, let's just go, let's go home and watch it. I think people will take that option of going to go see it after not being able to go see anything in person for a while. Yes, there are some people that have been able to go to Cajuns games consistently over the last, let's say, six, seven months since the start of football season, going back to September and Going forward, I mean, you have a lot of people. I see a lot of people in the Cajuns baseball games. I see a lot of people in Cajuns softball games. But I'm sure that that hype is going to continue to be there. That hype is going to be there. Add the fact you just had one of your best seasons in program history. You beat Iowa State. Imagine, if you will, week two. And LSU, the Cajuns, somehow, I, it's going to be a tough game. I'll say that much. And they open up year four with Billy Napier. And they beat Texas. And Texas, presumably presumably, is going to be a top five, top 25 team. I almost said top five. No, they won't be top 20, top five. They'll be probably top 25, and Cajuns will be in that number as well, and very much, you know, very close to top 20. Let's just, let's just put our cards on the table there. And then they beat Texas. It's be a very tough game. But if you beat Texas, I guarantee you week two you're going to have a huge turnout for that second game. Because you were able to do the same thing that you did last year for the second year in a row. Cajuns have never really had the best luck in the world against these Power 5 programs. And yes, you know, to a certain extent, Iowa State was a really good team, especially down the stretch last year, and the Cajuns should have been ranked above them. But at the end of the day, I think this may be that opportunity to really prove yourself as being here to stay. Now, when it comes to the Cajuns and next year, I think the conversation is going to start shifting. I think the conversation is going to start shifting to Billy Napier and is he going to actually leave? Because I think that's a question everybody's been having. 
is like we understand he's waiting for that next big job, but what's the next what's his end game here? Because I think if he wants to prove himself prove that he is without a doubt one of the biggest stars in college football and wants to build this dynasty over UMB, I hate to say it this way, but the big fish, small pond type situation. I just feel like there's a whole just mess going on. I'm interested to see how that's going to work. But I want to double back to the basketball stuff because I kind of got sidetracked bringing up attendance and stuff and having it back in our lives, having sports back in our lives. It's a great thing. But this tournament was so good for a lot of different reasons. One, you had a lot of different upsets. You had a true Cinderella make a run into the Final Four. Yes, it was UCLA. Yes, they're kind of an established brand. But at the same time, at the beginning of the year, this was something we did not expect to see. Beginning of the tournament, I felt like UCLA was a team that was going to make it into the make it into the field of 64 from the field from the playing games and probably get to the round 32 maybe the sweet 16 because they are a team that's always been in there and is used to this kind of stuff but final four especially the way they did it with three overtime games they played in and then the only reason why they didn't make the national title game was because of an incredibly insane sequence of events I mean right before the overtime it was tied with about a second left and then that Offensive foul charge, I have never been happier to see that, uh, that call made. It was the right call, but I was so happy to see that because you never really see it these days. Like, like a true charge is being taken, and that changes an overall outcome of a game. So I like that. I also have to say I loved the fact that we got you know, the overtime period and the sequence of events. I mentioned it with Ben. It was a lot like the Chris Jenkins three-pointer in the Nova-UNC game where no, where UNC hit a three-pointer to take the lead, and then Nova hit one to win the game. Chris Jenkins winds up being the absolute hero and probably one of the best three-point, one of the best buzzer beaters in history. Then we see Jalen Suggs absolutely, and I was watching the highlights this morning before I got here because I was like, uh, it just popped in my recommendations and showing all the calls. Without a doubt, Chris Jenkins is the number three, third best, I think, in my mind of all time, of buzzer beaters. Chris Jenkins, recency bias is there. That's a number two. Number one, it's got to be, you know, obviously Christian Leitner. It's the it's one of the more iconic ones. Now, of course, all three of these are going to be using highlight reels for years to come, over the next 30, 40 years, maybe even longer in the case of the Jalen Suggs one because I can't see many other moments like that. Shooting from the logo and almost all in one stride, he goes running to the scorer's table and jumps on that thing and basically is acting like he is the big dog. That kind of stuff I love. It's why we watch sports, to see these upsets, to see these incredible moments in time. Yes, they don't happen all that often, but guess what? If they did, it wouldn't be as great of a moment. And the NCAA tournament just gave us so much of that. And then they gave us a final that, for the most part, was underwhelming. The Zags looked completely, I'm not going to say entire, like totally hapless, but they weren't great as a whole. Not, not, not great at all. But hopefully, you know, it's a step in the right direction. And I think this also 
predicates something that you know Jordy's talked about. I have to agree with them wholeheartedly. Louisiana products need to stick around Louisiana, but it's tough. It is tough. And it's like this year more than any other made me realize something, how important it is to keep guys in the boot. No matter what sport, obviously in baseball, for the most part, LSU and the Cajuns, they've got established name brands. You're going to wind up getting a lot of those guys in house. Football, obviously LSU, the Cajuns, the last couple of years, the Cajuns have definitely put an emphasis on getting guys from within the, the tri-state area, or definitely in the Gulf Coast region, Texas and Louisiana, the Acadian area, they've definitely centered in on that. But it's seemingly the college basketball world, it fails in that aspect, especially with LSU. Because tell me tell me, you wouldn't want to have guys like DeJon De- Giroux, you know, Butler out of Baylor, the, the most – Outstanding player. Imagine those guys alongside Cam Thomas, Darius Days, Trent Watford. That's a formidable starting five if I ever saw one. And I guarantee you, if that happened, you would have probably a team in the Final Four and the entire college basketball world would be angry as hell about that. They'd be, they'd be big mad about the fact that you have LSU, a team with the whole Will Wade scandal, honestly being able to be in that spot. But at the same time, you have a guy like Bill Self, who's probably had God knows how many sanctions coming his way. He gets offered a lifetime contract. Sean Miller, he's fired. He's out at Arizona after 12 years. And after the front office really kind of was behind him. At this point, I just don't think Will Wade is priority numero uno when it comes to getting hit, especially with LSU right now. I'm not going to get into that whole thing because that is a whole other can of worms, my friends. And I'm sure you've gotten tired of hearing us talk about it. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. It's Under the Dome with CD. When we come back, we'll talk about the trouble with Teddy Bridgewater. Next, right here at 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Sports Talk Radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Hopefully you have a great Louisiana Saturday morning. And boy, oh boy, it's just definitely been a crazy, crazy week. Because I was, I, I've been thinking about it, like how much there is now, especially in the sport of professional wrestling. And you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get into it. I'll get to some Teddy Bridgewater stuff in a minute. But this week especially, it kind of made me realize a number of things. One, there's almost too much, and it's, it's a good thing. I think it's always a good thing. But it's like it kind of came to realization a couple nights ago, especially after this week. After WrestleMania is all said and done, there is literally just a smorgasbord. I've been playing wrestling themes all day, and it's made me kind of realize that more and more. There is literally about, let's say, out of every day of the week, like Monday through Friday, there's at least one wrestling show going on. It's insane. The thing about all the stuff that's going on in the world of pro wrestling, you've got Monday nights. you got Monday Night Raw, obviously. 
and then you've got AW Dark Elevation. Then Tuesday, you've got AW Dark in and of itself. NXT on Tuesday nights now. NWA Power with the four R's. I mean, there's so many, so much other stuff going on. Wednesday nights, AW Dynamite, and then MLW Fusion. And I'm saying, counting all the other little small indie promotions, they got stuff 24 seven. And I think this week, especially doing the WrestleMania week kind of junction, it's insane. And I've still got so much left to go. It's like, again, having six days worth of pro wrestling to get to and spending all this time doing the podcast and just watching all, all the wrestling possible and everything else, it made me realize how insane it is the fact that we're getting this much wrestling over the course of the week. I mean, for the last, it's a seven, eight, I'm not going to lie. It's almost like a nonstop for the next, like, 10, 12 days. Let's just start going back from the Monday. Monday Night Raw, then you have just Tuesday, which was kind of a, a slight void if you're not huge on watching some of the YouTube stuff. But let's be honest, that was really huge. See, NXT, AEW, then you have Night 2 of TakeOver, Stand and Deliver, which was pretty good. I'm going to be dropping the Cage Strong Style podcast, by the way, the final edition of the Cajun Strong Style WrestleMania Week. Might be the last time I ever do the Cajun Strong Style WrestleMania Week. Because, boy, that, w- that was a lot to get to. There was not enough t- not, enough, not enough hours in the day to talk about the sport of professional wrestling. It felt like there was just too much to get to. But I want to get to right now what's going on with the NFL and Teddy Bridgewater. Because Teddy Bridgewater is in an inter- interesting spot. Because, of course, they traded for Sam Darnold earlier this week. And there's like, – it makes you wonder, you know, Teddy Bridgewater just a year ago was probably one of the guys that everybody was interested in. It was pretty much like a guy that you were saying, hey, he's going to be pretty damn good. He's going to turn this franchise around. He's going to be able to make this thing a legitimate, you know, turnaround. I mean, he look what he did filling in for Drew Brees. He went 5-0. and he looked good. Yes, he had a lot of weapons to choose from, but it was like at the end of the day, you just sat there like, what happened? What happened to Teddy Bridgewater to where he wasn't the guy? He wasn't the answer. Because I felt like for a hot minute, he could have been the guy that could have brought this team back to relevance. Obviously, you had a lot of things happen. You had injuries rack up, and that definitely didn't help matters. But you sat there for probably about like 15, 20 minutes, after you saw the news about Sam Darnold and really started questioning, you know, how much of this league now is an over-reliance on basically, I'm not going to call it like bad booking, but it's more in the fact of you spend all this time investing in talent. And if you see one bad season out of it, you're gone. Like that's what it feels like to me now. And it's, it's already become more and more prevalent. We saw a few years ago, you know, the the names escape me now. The Chicago Cubs. A few years ago, they won the World Series. They won the World Freaking Series. Broke the hundred year Billy Goat's curse. And then a couple years later, you let go of the man that's really kind of been running things that really helped get you to that point. And Joe Matt, like. What happened in that couple of years span? You just didn't perform as well. And, you know, sometimes that makes sense. A two, three-year kind of review period. And then you can make that decision. But what was going on where that decision was made 
just go ahead and after one year say, hey, I'm wiping my hands of it. Joe Brady has to have a lot more clout than we think to just say, hey, I don't want this guy on my team anymore. I want to go ahead and get a guy like Sam Darnold to lead the way, which brings up a whole lot of other questions that I have about what this what this team is, what this future holds for for the Panthers. Because it's like, are you going to keep hitting the reset button? Because you only hit the reset button a number of times before you start thinking, are we just going to continue to just run ourselves down this like pipe dream? I'll never understand in a million years why that decision was made to take Teddy Bridgewater out of it. Now, where he goes next, that's really where the interest is. Because are you going to, for the most part, all these teams that would want him, they already have like a quarterback situation in place. I think, you know, Ben brought up Miami. Miami's an interesting spot because that's was one that was courting him mighty heavily a couple years ago after Teddy Bridgewater's one-year deal with the Saints ran out last like in 2019. Before he even had that big opportunity and that big audition for the future free agency, I was glad he got his money in Carolina. But I felt he would have he should have stuck around a little bit longer. And I felt like maybe the Saints, I mean not the Saints, but the Panthers jumped the gun on getting rid of him to get somebody like Sam Darnold. Yes, Sam Darnold was in a bad position. He was put in a tough in a rock between a rock and a hard place in the New York Jets. Yes, I get that. At the same time, how are you certain he's going to be the answer to your problems, in my mind? I want to see what's going to happen with Sam Darnold. I hope he does well, but I just feel like it's going to be uphill climb for him, especially in a division that has Tom Brady in there, that has has New Orleans Saints, who I think are going to be a little bit better. Will they be world beaters? No. I think they'll be a team that's going to make this a very contentious division. The Atlanta Falcons, they've still got some baby steps to get better. I just feel like this was a snap judgment, and maybe, you know, everybody's favorite guy, Joe Brady, has a little bit more clout than maybe he should. But let's get to the 1037 the game hotline. Hello, you're on Under the Dome. All right, well, looks like we weren't able to get that person in. If your phone call dropped the winner, 337-706-0111, unless that was TV's Dylan, and or I'm going to call him Mr. Dalton. He's, he's done that a couple times to me before. But I was right, he's probably not going to be listening. But hey, if you want to call us up, 337 Yeah, I think that would be a good spot. I want to see something before we came back from break. And that was Teddy Bridgewater potentially, you know, an insider revealed this. This is coming from Fan Nation, so take this as you kind of will, is that there were preconditions the Broncos would ask of the Panthers to acquire Teddy Bridgewater if they wanted to pull that trigger. And according to this, come from Luke Patterson saying that most teams are interested and the Broncos would be interested in Bridgewater competing with Locke, but they have to either pay some sort of guarantee to Bridgewater or release him. This came from Luke Patterson, who again was part of Mile High Huddle, part of SI now, but this also comes from Mike Kliss, who covers the Broncos for Nine News out in Denver, told that to Brandon Stokely, former Raging Cajun great. Small world. But it's interesting to see how this whole thing has kind of gone down. 
and seeing, you know, Teddy Bridgewater go from the Minnesota Vikings and he gets injured, goes to the Saints, is able to pull something off. And I'm like, I just don't know who is going to be that team. Who is going to be the team that takes Teddy two gloves? For me, I think it's got to be somebody who isn't necessarily sure about what the future is a quarterback. Denver feels like it's a good spot for him. I think it'd be a great move for him. But obviously, I think the Broncos, if they take him, he's just seriously, look at how things have slowed down since like the first few days of free agency. It has come to a virtual standstill because there's a lot of teams that don't have a whole hell of a lot of room. And obviously, in the situation of what's going on with the Denver Broncos, I mean, the Saints barely stayed under the cap. That's why they really haven't done anything in free agency outside of get some guys that are probably just some warm bodies and won't do much of anything. So I'm interested to see how that's all going to go. And, again, there's a lot of stories going forward that I just don't know yet. But I think the Teddy Bridgewater angle is going to be one of the more interesting ones just to see how it all pans out at the end of the day. And hopefully he gets a fair shake versus, you know, some other stuff we've seen in the past with certain teams. All right, it's under the dome with CD. We're going to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we're going to wrap the show. One final take and why I think April may be the second best month of the year. Obviously, I think I'm going to put out on a table here right now. May is without a doubt the best month of the year in my mind. But April is probably my second favorite. I'll give you some reasons why in just a little bit. Back after this on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. may be considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD, wrapping things up in a nice little bow. And let me give an update real quick, because during the commercial break, got a call in from the, I'm not going to say the, the, let's say, yeah, the exclusive hotline, my number, which I won't give out, but you can call us up in the next few minutes. Speak now or forever hold your peace until Monday because well, we're going to have any local programming outside of LSU baseball on Saturday. They'll be taking on Kentucky. First pitch now set for 5.30, pregame 5 o'clock. That'll be right here on 103.7 The Game, as per the usual. LSU looking to win the series and take the series this afternoon. I'm looking forward to seeing how that's going to turn out. But, of course, we also got Astros baseball over on News Talk 98.5. Before I get out of here, let me tell you about what we got up for grabs right now in the reward, in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com. It's free to join. You won't be spammed with emails. You'll have the opportunity to win free stuff like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen at Cypress Bayou Casino Hotel. Yeah, we like so much stuff going on right now. That Cajuns press conference about to start up, and I'm, I'm honestly just looking forward to talking all things, you know, 
LSU football, LSU baseball, LSU Cajuns football. There's so much more going on. And that's why I wanted to get in my last take of the show. And it's without a doubt not the most controversial, but I think it's the right take to have. I think without a doubt the second best month of the year for me, no doubt, is the month of April. The first month, obviously, is going to be May for me. Again, I was born on May 5th, personal bias there. But think about it. You've got, I mean, if you're a baseball fan, that's a great time of year because you've got Memorial Day, the official start of summer. You've got college baseball. you get that kind of starting to wrap up around that time. Typically, the SEC tournament, the road to Omaha begins. All that stuff's great. But at the end of the day, I think April, especially in non-COVID times, that's, that's going to be my key modifier there, is during non-COVID times, there's not a doubt in my mind that the month of April is one of the best months, especially here in the heart of Cajun country. No doubt in my mind. First off, you start off the month of April, you have the yeah the Final Four and the freaking NCAA Tournament Final, and that's always a lot of fun to watch. The end of March Madness. Then you go right straight into what we got right now, the Masters. A little bit before that, for the most part, around April, you're going to have WrestleMania. WrestleMania is night, two nights now. Maybe not next year, but we'll see. You got all that going on. And it's absolutely going to be huge to see how this whole thing turns out after COVID because of another reason. And I keep remembering this because I keep seeing, you know, obviously RP3 and company when I'm listening to that in the mornings and then I'm listening to other stations that we have. And I'm seeing people talk about, you know, Festival International. It's a little bit different this year. And I'm like, tell me that you weren't, you aren't going to be wanting to check out like actual live concerts whenever we're able to again. And when we're able to, I'm telling you, if next April we're able to have Festival International, you bet your bottom dollar I'll be there with, not quite with bells on. But I'm going to be absolutely enjoying that for sure. And I'm sure you might be as well. I'm also probably going to be enjoying more baseball. As, I mean, think once things get back to, it won't, I don't think it'll go quite back to normal. It'll be a complete reset to where we're all happy hunky-dory. But I think we'll get a step closer towards like some good stuff happening and some good vibes. And that, at the end of the day, is all we really need. We need just good stuff to happen. And I think we're getting there. The vaccinations, all that stuff. It's great. But now it's time to get towards that end of the road and a step in the right direction. But I'm going to step out and enjoy the rest of my weekend. Hope you do as well. This has been Under the Dome with CD on 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. Peace. <laughs>